President of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, Anne Brasseur, is here today as part of an official visit to the Norwegian Parliament. We are therefore pleased to welcome also her host in Oslo, the President of the Norwegian Parliament, Ole Mik Thomassen, and quite a substantial delegation from the Storting. My name is uh, John Eric Fossum, and I'm a professor of political science at the ARENA Center for European Studies here at the University of Oslo. ARENA is delighted to co-organize this important event with the Norwegian Center of Human Rights, and it is a great honor and pleasure for me personally to chair this session. One of Europe's main lessons from the two violent disasters in the first half of the 20th century is that democracy is unstable when left to be sustained by domestic institutions. A legal framework to remove arbitrary dominance is necessary. The same are international bodies tasked with democratic and human rights monitoring and oversight functions. Parliaments and parliamentarians figure at the heart of our democratic self-understanding. It is, will therefore be very interesting today to learn more about the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe that seeks to incorporate the new recognition of what democracy in a tightly interconnected world requires with the well-entrenched conception of parliaments and parliamentarians as people's representatives. We very much look forward to Andrasur's lecture. Before that, I am pleased to give the word to Inga Busta, who is director of the Norwegian Center of Human Rights. Inga, please. Dear Anne Brasseur, dear Ulmik Thomsen, dear everyone, it is a privilege and a great pleasure to wish the distinguished president of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, Madame Anne Brasseur, a very warm welcome to the University of Oslo and to this particular event this afternoon. Madame Brasseur is chairing a very important European body comprising 318 European politicians. And Norway has always been active in the work of the Council. And that is valid also for the relationship with the Norwegian Parliament Stortingen and the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. Madame Brasseur has worked for a very long time, both at the national level and at the European level, to promote and strengthen basic political and legal values. Her introduction here this afternoon will build on her great experience. As director of the Norwegian Center of Human Rights, I am proud being one of the organizers of this event. We are looking forward to listen and learn from you, and finally to debate the burning issues in Europe of today. The Council of Europe was built on three pillars, democracy, the rule of law, and respect for human rights. This is stated in the preamble of the Statutes of the Council. Quote, reaffirming their devotion to the spiritual and moral values which are the common heritage of their people and the true source of individual freedom, political liberty and the rule of law, principles which form the basis of all genuine democracy. End of quote. According to Article 3, a basic requirement for membership in the Council is that states must respect the principle of the rule of law. These three pillars from the outset intertwined. The basic rationale was that democracy could not function properly 
unless the state was governed by the rule of law and respect for human rights. The principle of rule of law would not be implemented without democracy and respect for human rights. And finally, human rights could not be effectively respected in a state which was not built on popular sovereignty and the rule of law. Madame Brasseur is going to elaborate this afternoon on present contemporary challenges to these three values. And it is a disturbing fact that states, political groups, organizations reverting to violence are now challenging these values. And as I see it, the challenges are presenting themselves at two different levels. The obvious, immediate danger is that these values are attacked and challenged separately. Let me give but three examples. Manipulated elections challenge democracy. Restrictions on the competence of courts challenge the rule of law. And new legislations in member countries restrict the respect for human rights. And not the least by infringing on the rights of human rights defenders. As a philosopher, however, I'm also deeply concerned with the ongoing discussions and attack on the indivisibility of and the balance between these three basic values enshrined in the statutes of the Council of Europe. There is in particular a tendency that the popular sovereignty overrides the two other basic values that restrictions on the political will of the people following from the principle of rule of law or respect for human rights should be reduced or diminished. Such ideas are imminent also in my own country, Norway. We saw this clearly during last winter and spring. And as you may know, Norway has the oldest still valid constitution in Europe. On the global scene, superseded only by the Constitution of the United States of America. The Constitution of 1814 was, for its time, rather liberal and gave protections for a few basic human rights. However, as states around us totally have updated their constitutions, this has not been the case in Norway. And shortly before Mr. Torbjörn Jagland left as Speaker of the Parliament to become Secretary General of the Council of Europe, he appointed an expert committee to propose a modern, full-fledged human rights catalogue with the possible aim to include, include this in the Constitution's 200 years anniversary. The committee presented such a catalogue to the Parliament in December 2011. And having followed very closely the debates in Parliament as well as in the media and the final voting in Parliament in May this year, I and my colleagues at the, Human Center, at the Center for Human Rights have observed that even in this country, which for decades has been an active champion and promoter of human rights globally, there is skepticism to lift human rights into the Constitution. But, ladies and gentlemen, we come back to this maybe during the upcoming discussions. And now it is proper time to leave the floor to Madame Brasseur. The floor is yours. Mr. President, Director, ladies and gentlemen, you see me here in a particular outfit. Usually I'm not wearing t-shirts uh, because it's not allowed in the parliament uh, to advertise for an idea. But when I came here, 
I uh, saw the people of the No Hate Speech campaign and they handed us over this T-shirt. And I thought it was only right to put it on and to keep it uh, uh, to, uh, for this uh, lecture. And I, so, uh, I hope that you accept it. But there is one thing, because it says, young people uh, for, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, for human uh, rights. Well, I'm not that young any, uh, anymore, but I think you are supporting me. So being here, I feel young being at university. Thank you very much for giving me the, this opportunity to have this lecture. I had already a lecture at Holden University this, uh, this morning. And it is important for politicians to have contacts with young people and also to have contacts with the academic uh, world and not to have just contacts in meetings. So thank you very much for giving me uh, this uh, opportunity. And uh, if I am paying a visit to uh, Oslo, it's because uh, Norway is hosting a very important event, the conference of uh, the presidents of national uh, parliaments. And we are going to meet tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And that is co-organized by the Norwegian parliament and by the Council uh, of Europe. So I thank you for hosting this. And that brings me to your country. And that brings me to you for my lecture today. So uh, you're responsible for me being here. So thank you very much, uh, uh, dear colleague uh, president. Um, first of all, I would like to, say you, uh, to tell you a few words about the Council of Europe, because there is very often much confusion about the Council of Europe and the European Union. And you saw already the flag uh, out, uh, outside, the European uh, flag, uh, which, was, uh, uh, which is all around because of the conference. And then people say, well, what does that mean? Because it's the blue flag with the 12 uh, yellow stars. Uh, and they say that's the uh, emblem, that's the flag of the European Union. No, it's the flag of the Council of Europe since 55, and the European Union asked to take it over, as well as the anthem. But to, uh, <laughs> it's, it's our anthem, but we don't mind uh, to share it with, with others. But uh, I just uh, want to tell you that confusion is getting uh, bigger because also of the terminology we use. You have the Council of Europe and you have the European Council. So the same words, but it's completely different. The Council of Europe, I'm going to talk to you about it later on. And the, uh, the European Council is the head of uh, states and of governments of the 28 member states of the European Union. You have the, the flag and the anthem. You have the court, for instance. You have the court uh, of justice, uh, which is uh, the court of the European Union. And you, you have the European Court for Human Rights, which is the guardian of the protection of human uh, rights of the Council uh, of uh, Europe. Uh, and I could uh, continue uh, like that. We have the European Parliament, you all know, but that the Council of Europe we have the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. And how should people not get confused? But I just want uh, to give you some indications about the Council of Europe before I'm going to speak about the big challenges we are going to face. And please interrupt me uh, when it is time, because I come here also to discuss with you, to answer questions, to have interaction. 
So if I'm going too far, please tell me. I, um, the Council of Europe was founded in, uh, in uh, 1949 after uh, the World War II because our predecessors took the lesson that after World War I, they established, uh, well, they managed to have uh, to stop the war, but peace wasn't established. And that gave rise to, uh, to Nazism and to the uh, world. And then uh, we know what happened during World War II. So after World War II, people were sitting together and they said, now it's enough. And so they set up uh, a pan-European organization defending uh, democracy, uh, the rule of law, and human rights. And it was founded by uh, 10 member states, amongst which Norway and my uh, country, Luxem uh, Luxembourg. And it's important to know that already in 49, so a couple of months after the foundation, uh, Greece and Turkey joined. And in 1950, Germany joined already. So the enemy we had before, during World War I, and then uh, the uprising Nazism, and then uh, the, uh, the uh, terrible uh, massacre during World War II, people were sitting on the table and accepting the Germans to join the uh, Council of Europe. And then the Council of Europe uh, enlarged after, uh, after the 90s, of course, and now we have 47 member states uh, and representing 820 million uh, European uh, citizens. And, uh, and uh, Ukraine and Russia, for instance, they are, uh, they are members. So we have all member states of the geographical Europe. And that would be another lecture, what is geographical Europe? But uh, I take it, I, I just take a shortcut of geographical Europe. So there are two countries which are not non-members. Uh, that's Kosovo because of the status, which is not recognized as an independent country by, but all, by all member states. And uh, the other one is Belarus, because Belarus is really not uh, a democracy and doesn't meet the standards of the uh, Council, uh, of, the Council uh, of uh, Europe. Uh, you are playing, as it was just said, an important role in the Council of Europe. First of all, because of the Secretary General of the Council of Europe, uh, your former Prime Minister, former uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, former Speaker uh, of your Parliament, uh, Mr. Tobion Jagland. He has been elected Secretary General in 2009 and got re-elected in, uh, uh, now in June. He's the first uh, Secretary General having managed to have a second mandate. And, uh, I think he studied economics at this university, so uh, there's the link. But you have also a very strong delegation uh, at the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, the Norwegian delegation, and I'm glad that I have uh, the president and the vice president of the delegation uh, here. Uh, that is uh, Ingrid Skau and uh, uh, Lise Christofferson, and they are very, very uh, active. So uh, you have a good parliamentary representation uh, at, the, uh, parliamentary, uh, at the parliamentary assembly. All the countries who joined on a voluntary basis, the Council of Europe accepted at, uh, the Convention for Human Rights. And you just heard what it was uh, about. 
So, and besides that, we have other conventions on different themes like uh, uh, combating uh, child abuse, combating uh, violence against uh, women, combating, uh, combating uh, xenophobia, launching uh, also uh, some uh, campaigns like no, uh, no hate speech. And we have a number of, uh, of uh, conventions. The uh, bodies uh, in the Council of Europe are the Secretary General, but uh, that is steered by uh, a political uh, body, that's the Committee of Ministers, and those are the 47 Minister of Foreign Affairs of the member uh, countries. And we have the Parliamentary Assembly, uh, the, we have the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities, and also a body representing uh, the NGOs. 400 NGOs are working together uh, with the Council of Europe because it's important to get uh, also uh, the information from uh, the civil society. And of course, we have the European Court of Human Rights because the European Court of Human Rights is uh, really the guardian to protect human rights and each citizen of those 820 million citizens all over the member states can lodge a complaint against one of uh, uh, the uh, member uh, states if uh, he thinks uh, human rights are violated. So that's a very important uh, uh, instrument. As the Parliamentary Assembly, we are uh, 318 members uh, from uh, all parliaments. Uh, big delegations have uh, 18 members, smaller delegations have, uh, have two uh, members and we also have uh, uh, substitutes and uh, we work, uh, we work uh, together. What is important that we also meet with national parliaments and that we have those connections and that's why uh, the conference you are hosting now uh, with the speakers of the national parliaments is so important and I just want to give you uh, the information of the topics we are dealing with. It's, we have three themes and the first theme concerns fundamental constitutional rights and freedoms, participation, trust and public debate as conditions for democracy. The second theme is democracy, sovereignty and security in uh, Europe. And the third theme uh, discusses the relations between majority and opposition in, uh, the, uh, in democracy. So uh, now you see uh, what uh, challenges we are uh, debating uh, about. But what I want to do now is to speak about the main challenges we are facing today, and I don't, and that is, of course, and I said it, it's Ukraine. Because Ukraine is one of the member states of the Council of Europe, and the crisis is uh, since uh, the, uh, the uh, pro popular protest in Maidan, uh, which was in fact based on the protest against a state which didn't function, based on corruption and, and, and a state really a weak state. And that's one of the problems in Ukraine. In Ukraine, the constitution is not good. They, couldn't, they didn't manage to change it within 20 years. You have no, uh, the judiciary is not independent. Uh, you have a very high degree of, uh, of uh, corruption. You have no separation of powers. That leads to that, that if you have weak institutions, you have a weak state, 
and the a weak uh, state can't, uh, is not able to give a response to a, a crisis. And that's besides, of course, what happens uh, in, in the east of Ukraine. That is one, uh, one of the major problems. So Ukraine needs reforms, and I know that uh, the Norwegian authorities have a number of programs to help Ukraine, and we are working with the Council of Europe in Ukraine itself in order to reform the judiciary and to make uh, a certain series of laws. But of course for that you need a parliament which works, and there you need a stable majority. Uh, now they have elections at the uh, end of October, and nobody knows what's going to happen uh, then. So that is very difficult. But what we need is also contact uh, with the, uh, on, uh, the, uh, on the level of uh, civil servants, and that works uh, quite uh, well, but also on the political level. And President Poroshenko, he came to our last June session of the Parliamentary uh, Assembly, he came there, it was his first visit. He uh, made outside Ukraine as an official appointed uh, president. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to meet the speaker of the Ukrainian uh, parliament here, Mr. Turchinov, because as parliamentarians we need to speak together, not to patronize somebody, but to help them in order with all our instruments to help to build, uh, to build uh, de uh, demo uh, democracy. And uh, so that is uh, important. I also want um, to give you an information about our relations with Russia. After the annexation of the Crimea, in our April session, the Parliamentary <coughs> Assembly decided to suspend the voting right of the Russian delegation. We did not uh, suspend the credentials. Suspending the credentials would mean that we didn't want to, to work with them uh, anymore. But suspending the voting rights uh, was a signal that, of course, we had to sanction uh, the annexation of Crimea because that is unacceptable, that's violation of the territorial integrity, it's violation of international uh, law, so that is not acceptable for us. But on the other hand, we have to continue to talk together because Violence can't be uh, the uh, solution, and we see it. So that's why uh, we uh, just, between brackets, uh, suspended the, uh, uh, the voting rights. Then, after that, the Russian Duma decided not to participate in our work anymore. And we thought that was not the right thing to do, because we needed to continue to talk to them. So I took the initiative to uh, bring up the uh, president of uh, the Russian state uh, Duma in order to keep contact. That was not easy. And after our telephone call, we agreed to meet. And uh, we met last Tuesday in Paris. And uh, there uh, we had discussions we were, which were not easy either. But we agreed at least to set up a, common, a list of common steps we could take in order to continue and to find, uh, to find uh, solutions. So uh, it is important to, to keep the channels of, uh, of dialogue open and uh, that's, what we, uh, that's what we try uh, to do. So 
Uh, and sometimes people say, well, if you speak to them, then you lift the sanctions. No, we don't lift the sanctions because they have been taken, but we have to continue, uh, we have to, continue to talk because it's only through uh, diplomacy that we can find solutions. It is, for the moment, it's difficult with Russia because they say, well, we can speak together, but we are not part of the problem in Ukraine, so we can't be part of the solution. Uh, well, I don't share, of course, uh, this, uh, this approach, so, but uh, they agreed uh, to uh, continue to talk together. That's, in a nutshell, a little aspect of that conflict. But we have other uh, challenges to, uh, uh, to face at the Council uh, of Europe when we speak about human rights. Um, the, uh, there is a ruling, uh, a rotating presidency of the Council of Europe every six months in alphabetic order. And now it's Azerbaijan. Uh, Azerbaijan took, uh, took over and um, Azerbaijan uh, is facing a difficult time because of the, uh, uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, crisis and uh, the confrontation with uh, Armenia, and there was a lot of violence against, again coming up in August. Nobody talked about it because it was overshadowed by the, uh, prime, uh, by, by, by the Ukrainian crisis, but also by the crisis in Syria and Iraq. But nevertheless, it's, uh, those are countries, members of the Council of Europe, so we have to care about it. But having a crisis with your neighbor and having a so-called frozen country lake doesn't mean that you uh, just uh, can ignore human rights. And the problem is that since then, we have even more arrests of human rights defenders in, uh, in Azerbaijan. Uh, they, as I am told, they are arrested or even condemned as the director for political, uh, uh, of the schools of political studies of the Council of Europe he has been uh, condemned, some uh, being spies, others being, uh, uh, having made tax evasion, or uh, s some of smuggling uh, weapons, or being a threat to the uh, state, and all they are uh, in, in prison. I'm told that that is separation uh, of, uh, of powers and that the judiciary is independent. But it's that you have all those human rights defenders one after the other whom we worked with to see in prison uh, now is really a, a situation we have to look at, uh, into. And I'm going, uh, Sunday in a week, I'm going to Azerbaijan and I asked to see some of those uh, prisoners. Because it's not, if we are working with, uh, with uh, those uh, countries, they are members. They, uh, they accept it to uh, share with us the same values. And if we criticize them, it's in order, it's not for, for criticizing them, but it's in order to help them to uh, have a better system. And the presidency of Azerbaijan should be seen as a window of opportunity in order to accelerate uh, their uh, reforms. And they have to do it. Of course, we have to respect us mutually. But I think uh, in a family, you can criticize somebody if uh, one is uh, getting uh, off the right, uh, uh, right uh, uh, path. And then 
Um, I give you another example of, of, of a difficult situation. It's Bosnia-Herzegovina, because after Azerbaijan, uh, Belgium is going to take over the presidency, uh, even if they are not going to have a, a government, because they didn't have a government uh, for more than 500 days after the last uh, elections, and they still continue to work. So that's not going to be a matter of concern. But uh, then Bosnia-Herzegovina. And Bosnia-Herzegovina, they are in an institutional deadlock. And that's based on the Dayton Agreement, the Dayton Agreement we all took together in order uh, to, 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 to put an end to the war. But that makes that institutionally, this uh, country can't work. And so we have to help them uh, to, get, uh, to get out of this. And the Council of Europe has the instruments through all uh, the, uh, the different expert bodies in order to help countries uh, to... Uh, I give you one example. We have the Venice Commission. The Venice Commission is composed by specialists in legal and constitutional uh, matters, advising countries, but not only countries uh, who have problems. My own country, Luxembourg, uh, took an opinion of the Venice Commission because we are reforming our constitution. So it's not two-side countries, the good ones and the bad ones. No, we all have to help uh, each other mutually to uh, get out of it. And then one more word. We have a lot of uh, challenges to face. We have the so-called uh, frozen conflicts within our member states. We have northern Cyprus. We have Transnistria, you know, the end of uh, uh, Moldova, which... which, which uh, is a so-called uh, frozen conflict. We have uh, South Ossetia, we have uh, Abkhazia, we have uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh, and now are we adding uh, also the, uh, the Crimea? So that is really a threat to the territorial integrity of, uh, of our uh, countries. And, and we have really to tackle that with all the stakeholders in, uh, in these countries. And the second big issue we have uh, is uh, the migration flows. We have tremendous uh, migration uh, flows due to uh, the terrible uh, situation all uh, over the world and outside also uh, uh, Europe. And so we have to find common solutions because if we don't find them, we give more arguments for the right wing, the populist parties, the extremist parties, and that's my next uh, point, uh, which are coming more and more up. Uh, if you look to, uh, to the last uh, European elections, if you see the success of the right wing uh, uh, parties, of those who are against Europe, uh, of those who are against foreigners, who are making responsible the other for the economic crisis, for everything, there we have to stand together because that is the biggest threat democracy is facing. And that's why such campaigns like this campaign, and I'm proud to be able to wear this uh, T-shirt, is so important that we have to stick together all countries, all, all political, democratic political forces to, uh, to, to, to face this and to, to combat hate speech, to combat intolerance, to combat xenophobia. And uh, that I'm very proud that uh, we are going to launch together uh, to, today uh, and support a campaign 
of uh, having the second, uh, uh, the 22nd of uh, July as a, a Remembrance Day, a Remembrance Day uh, for the victims of uh, of uh, hate crime. And I think it is important to launch that, and that all parliaments are uh, standing together uh, behind uh, behind this, because uh, if we can't stand up for our values. Uh, we are going, for the younger generation, we are going to lose what we could witness after World War II, uh, the, the freedom, and we never should uh, take uh, freedom uh, for, uh, for granted. So we have to work together with all institutions, with national parliaments, with youth organisations, and there the Council of Europe has uh, youth centres in Strasbourg, in Budapest, where we are working with uh, young people. I attended a youth parliament uh, meeting in Barcelona to discuss uh, with uh, young uh, people because it's only together that we will uh, make it possible to uh, develop uh, a world where we can uh, live in peace. And we have to do that with all the institutions also, and that's my last word, with the European institutions of the European Union. And we have very good relations with the European Parliament, and we shouldn't duplicate our efforts. The Council of Europe is there uh, for human rights, and we are having more countries than the European Union. And the Council of Europe shouldn't be seen as just a waiting room to have access to the European Union. There are some countries who never are going to join the European Union, so that's fine, I don't have to tell you that here in, uh, in, in Norway. And we shouldn't have two classes of countries, those in and those uh, out. What our aim is, is really to work together uh, in order that each of those 820 uh, million citizens in uh, the countries uh, of the Council uh, of Europe can live in freedom. And in order to live in freedom, they must have their human rights protected. And that only can work if they live in a democracy. And a democracy only uh, can exist if it's based on the rule uh, of law. And that's what we are fighting for. And we have to do it every day, not only on the 22nd of uh, July, of, uh, of course. And I'm grateful that I could deliver this message to you because you are going to be the ambassadors of this uh, message uh, for the next generation. So thank you very much. And I'm, well, uh, I took, is that okay? So I, I stop, uh, I stop uh, now and I'm, I'm really uh, grateful if we could have a discussion and have questions and answers. So thank you very much.